while growing up, what did it mean for someone to be rich? Like, if you uh, read the news and notes this week, you'll know that I talked about this family that was in my sort of in the neighborhood next to me, but my mom was friends with the lady, and when she first went over to her house and brought me over, and I looked over the staircase and saw their indoor pool, I'm like, wow, Mr. and Mrs. Tolbert, they are rich. I found out that he had this little roadster in the, in the garage, too, so then I was like, and he didn't normally drive that. He drove the big wooden paneled giant station wagon as his winter car, but then I knew, ooh, if you have an extra car and an indoor pool, you must be rich. So I'm curious to where your mind goes on what it means. Like, were you part of the revolution from two stalls to three stalls? Or maybe from one stall car garage to two stalls? Or what about, like, maybe you had circles with lake cabins? And so you're like, oh, yeah. When people had lake cabins, that meant they're rich. Or maybe you knew of people who did winter travel and they skied in exotic places or something. And so you're Oh, that's it. Or, you know, maybe people who take European vacations or Hawaiian vacations. Or, you know, we had some friends, acquaintances, I guess, that went to Bora Bora. I'm like, I don't even know where Bora Bora is in the world. That must be rich. But any of these things, wherever they were, wherever your mind goes, there's this, like, there's this imaginary line that you cross. And all of a sudden, when you cross that line, you go, oh, I'm rich. Or you look at the other person and say, you're rich. And, and Jesus said more about money and possessions than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Like, this is important stuff. And we're discussing money and true riches because I think we have to understand what true riches are, number one. And who is truly rich and how we can be awesome. Yep, that's what I said. How we can be awesome at being rich. That's why we're talking about it. But I'm curious as to what goes through your head when you hear me say, oh, we're going to talk about money and possessions. Because if I were you, I'd say, you're going to make me feel guilty about anything I have, aren't you? No, I'm really not. And the more and more I study the scriptures on this, I don't, just, I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. That God is out to make us feel guilty or shame us for anything we have. Now, We just finished a series on Exodus, Leah mentioned it, and you might be coming out of a setback where you might be having a really, really hard time finding joy right now. And if that's the case, I'm praying that even in the midst of talking about money and riches, that, that at the end of this, God gives you real, true, authentic joy. So to open the series, I want to read uh, an excerpt from a letter. It's written from an older church planter to a younger leader in a church that's got to be very wealthy. It's in one of the wealthiest cities in the world. It's a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus would be comparable to a modern-day New York before the Twin Towers, like economic powerhouse plus central transportation and economic hub of the known world. So this place has the richest of the rich in it and the poorest of the poor. Think like New York's Hampton meets the hood, and, and then you get somewhat of an idea of these people who've said yes to Jesus, and they're all in this church, but there's huge, huge, huge economic disparities between the people there, and this leader 
has come in and he's brought his team, Paul and these other men and women who've come in. They've set up and established the church. They've probably been there for three years. And then he leaves this younger leader, Timothy, there to say, hey, there's some teaching that's not right here and I need you to stay and I need you to work it out. So one of the things that he talked about that was of major importance in the letter was this idea of riches. He talks at the beginning of this section on getting rich, those who want to get rich, and then he talks about those who want to be rich, who actually already are rich. So take a look at verse 17 here. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may be able to take life that is truly life. I think I missed part of that. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they will take hold of life that is truly life. See, some of you are probably hearing this and and if you're being totally, totally honest, you'd say, actually, I'm not, I'm not rich, but I want to get rich. And, and that, if that's you, that's okay. I would just encourage you to read the whole chapter then, because it does talk about uh, the, the warnings with wanting to get rich. But he's addressing the people, and we're talking today about the people that already are rich. Now, the first hundred times or so that I either read or listened to this verse. I, st- I just stopped there. I'm like, I'm not rich. I, this doesn't pertain to me because I don't fall into, I haven't crossed the rich line. Then I did some research. Like according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the median annual household income in the United States is about $50,000 a year. And Gallup conducted a study just over three years ago. One of the questions they asked was, how much money would you need to bring in per year to consider yourself rich? Fascinating stuff. Because, you know, I I assume that college graduates would probably say more than non-college graduates. That's true. About twice as much. And, And then people with kids, if you had kids under 18 living in your house, those are two very important qualifications. But if you fell into that category, then you knew like, oh, I'm gonna need about twice as much money to be rich. Actually, maybe, no, it was just twice as much. But it's like the rich line slid around. So then they actually did some of the hard numbers and they found out that if people made below $50,000, the average response to that was double. I'd need $100,000. If I made $100,000 a year, I'd be rich. Maybe that's, maybe that kind of fall, you kind of fall into that category. But they continued and those who made between fifty dollars and $75,000 annual household income, so maybe that's two people together, if you fell into that category, the response was, I need $150,000 a year to be rich. But then they did people over $75,000, and uh, we just were part of a, a statistical organization, Insight, Mission Insight it's called, so you can get real-time data. So we have 2014 data from Apple Valley, so anybody who lives in the 55124 zip code, the average household income in Apple Valley is about $92,000 a year. So if you, 
you, we, maybe there's a lot of us who would fall into that category of over $75,000. Those people reported they'd need $250,000 a year to be rich. It's interesting how the line slides around. So, what if we let God define who, what it means to be rich? And if God loves the world, we should probably compare ourselves to the world. So I did a little research um, from the World Bank, and the World Bank actually has a really, really accurate thing. Don't want to spend too much time here, but the gross domestic product per person, and then they do this uh, analyzation. I'm sure all my engineering friends would love it, but because I'm a former math guy, I was a little bit intrigued. Because you look at this and you're like, whoa, 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 standard of living. Don't worry, they factored that in. They took all the things that, the, the products that go out, the products that come in, the ones we spend it on, the cost of living, and the incomes we make, and then they converted it to a common currency so that they could compare, and this is what they found out. They found out that the world average for kind of this per capita earning is $13,460 per year. So 70, uh, 28% of the world's population falls above that line. You'll see that the United States is actually the 12th um, largest economy, the 12th highest earning potential, and the other 11 countries make up six-tenths of 1% above that, so they don't really fall into the graph. Now, 72% of the world falls below that. The the lines across, how, how wide they are, is for how many people are in those countries. So if you just look at two of the big chunks, China and India, China's uh, per capita earning per person is about $10,000 a year, and India's is around $5,000 a year. So $5,000 a year would come out to be about $13 a day that people would make to then live. Now granted, the standard of living is different, but... Again, taking those things into account, I want you to think about the fact that if you encountered someone that made $5,000 a year, or more likely, if they encountered you, and you just made $50,000 a year, what might be their response? You're rich. I mean, just whatever your salary is, whatever you make, if you have a job right now, imagine meeting someone who made 10 times what you made. I think you'd look at them and go, wow, you're rich. Well, over one-third, one-third of the world's population would likely look at you and me and say, wow, you are rich. Two-thirds of the world would say, you're rich too. They're under $10,000 a year. It's not that much more. I, I really believe, after I study this, I really believe God wants us to know, not just spiritually, for sure, spiritually. Don't want don't to miss that. But financially, so many of us are rich. I mean, if we make $32,000 a year, we're in the top 15% of wage earners in the world, according to these statistics. And, and if you drive a car, you're rich. because. It, so if you drove today, you're, you're rich because 91% of the world doesn't own a car. If you own two cars, you're really rich. Over only 3% of the world owns more than one car. 
And if, if you make over $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wage earners. Now, if you compare rich people all over the world, not just in our country, but all over the world, you are one of the richest people in the world at $50,000. And if you make over it's 70 or 75,000, you're in the top quarter, maybe half quarter of a percent of the world's richest people alive today at 70 or $75,000 a year. Now, please hear this part. Especially if you've been around here a long time. I know we have single parents and we have single incomes and there are huge financial challenges. And I know some of you have medical bills that you didn't expect. And there are piles, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. I want to acknowledge those things. I know some people are, are out of work right now, and it is agonizing, and, and you don't know how you're going to keep your house, or your shelter, or your clothes, or put food on the table. And those are real, real challenges. I want to acknowledge those things. But I also want you to just give me a little leeway. Because most of the people that are going to razz me, the reason I had the hardest time saying, oh God, I really don't want to talk about this, is because we still want to say, oh, but I'm not rich. Except we're going to leave this climate-controlled building, and we're going to walk into our climate-controlled car, which, you know, today maybe isn't that big a deal, and we're going to drive by, I don't know, a dozen maybe more restaurants that like will serve us way more food than we could or should eat. And we're going to park our car in a little house for itself. Maybe it's climate controlled. You're going to walk into a climate controlled house. You might sit down on a couch where you have a large flat screen TV with 500 channels or grab your mobile device with unlimited minutes and data. And you can listen to, I don't know, one of 100,000 songs. Now, if I were you, my response would be, well, actually, I only have 25 channels because we don't have cable. And, and I only have like 12,000 songs, not, not more than that. No, I'm probably rich. You're probably rich. Now, listen to the verse again. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. They're already rich. Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The writer isn't saying we have to be embarrassed about having wealth. He's saying don't be arrogant. Don't put our trust in money. Instead, put our trust in God. So I think the writer is trying to say, I think what he wants this other guy, Timothy, to say to these people who are going around and, and some of the false teaching is that they, anything of money is bad. You've got to get rid of it. Any wealth, any possessions, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to look like you have this really, really simplistic life of, of poverty. And he's saying, no, 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 not at all. No, you don't have to reject your money. But, but don't hold it with these clenched fists. He's saying, look at it. 
receive it and be willing and generous to share it. We'll get into more of that next week, but to hold it like this. To be good, actually great at being rich. If we want to be great at being rich, we've got to admit that for many of us, we're already rich. But then we have to look at the positives of that and the potential problems. Because there are both. One of the positives of this is that being rich is a good gift from God. Over and over and over in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, there is this reverberization, this repetition that, that God gives freely. It's a good gift. Ecclesiastes, great book for this. Solomon, one of the wisest man, the wisest man besides Jesus that ever lived, said this. He said, I realized, it's kind of a reflection of his life as he's an old man, I realized that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God. For no one can eat or drink or experience joy apart from God. For the person who pleases God, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. This goes on. Moreover, God gives someone wealth when God gives someone wealth and the, possess- and the possessions and the ability to enjoy them. This is a gift of God. I mean, think about it. I know sometimes uh, we call these things first world problems. I'd like us to like flip that and go, these are rich people options. Like you can save time with money. Think about it. Instead of cutting your grass by hand, I don't know if you actually use the scissors for that. Maybe you have a mower. You can, you can buy a lawnmower and you can push it or you can even buy a bigger one and ride it and save like, I don't know, 15, two hours, depends on how big your lawn is. You can, you can save time with money. You can, you can drive through a car wash today if it's not like 400 lines long, pay $6 and boom, get a half hour of your life back and your car's clean, no rust. I mean, if you have children and you have a little money, you have rich people option of like going out on a date. Here, we'll pay this, this person to take care of our children and we'll go invest and communicate. It'll be great. Maybe it'll be great. And, and if you have kids, you can bring them to the zoo. Like the zoo is five minutes away. And you can bring them to the library and we have like libraries all over. They can read books. They can read. There's lots of kids who can't read. Because they can join sports, take music lessons, get their teeth straightened. I mean, these are, these are rich people options. Like we can have medical procedures to fix things that are broken. We can afford medicine if we're sick. These are, these are not evil things. They're not wrong. It's just a good gift from God. Many of us, we have enough money to help someone who's really in need, who's really struggling with food, or really struggling with clothing, or really struggling with shelter. Please hear, these are not bad. In fact, it leads to another positive of being rich. Like, if we can trust God that he's the one who provides... I think we can just enjoy his blessings and give him praise for it. We can enjoy his blessings and give, his, give him praise for it. The text says God richly provides for, with everything for our enjoyment. Again, it's okay to hold it, to share it, to enjoy it. Not to be selfish about it, not to be focused on it, but just to receive it and enjoy it. 
And I, I think when we can do that, this was kind of the life changer for me. When we can recognize that money is really a gift from God, it, it changes the way we think. It changes our heart. It changes, I think, how we see things and the way we see ourselves, maybe even the way we see God and what we're capable of through him. God says that he loves us so much and he prepares good works for us that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Some of us go, oh, I don't have enough talent or oh, I don't have enough money. I can't do that. No. I mean, money is like the one thing that I think we're embarrassed about. When you, like for example, if, 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 if I said, oh, that's a great shirt. Maybe you've told one of your friends, like you complimented them on their outfit and they're like, oh, no, 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 I got this on sale. Like, and they're obsessed with telling you about the sale. Or, or, we don't do that with our, our health. Like, oh, you're in such good shape. No, I'm really flabby. I just, you know, I don't work out. And maybe, maybe you do that. Maybe you're embarrassed about being healthy. Or you're embarrassed about having nice clothes. But some, for some reason, we're embarrassed about having money. Like when my kids say, Dad, are we rich? I'm like, no, no, no. And then I'm like, well, I, I, yeah, we're rich. Okay, don't tell anyone. <laughs> like, I don't want anyone else to know that, that you know that God has blessed us so much. But I think we're embarrassed. But when, we're, when we re- just recognize it and receive it, it can be a good gift from God. We can give him praise for it. Like, when we recognize God's grace and God's mercy in our lives. Ephesians says that because of God's great love for us, God who's so rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Like, God sent Jesus when we didn't deserve it. That's richness. We have to receive that. We have to enjoy that. We have to say thank you for that. This, this brings a gratitude forward in our lives. This brings a contentment for us that, that if we can say, God, okay, fine, God has blessed me. I'm rich. I think we can recognize God as the giver and honestly and truly be grateful. And when we can be grateful, we can be content. And when we can be content, we can stop consuming. And when we stop consuming, we can share. So we don't have to be embarrassed, but we do have to watch out for the problems. I mean, the first problem of being rich is it means that we have to constantly battle pride. I mean, the text immediately says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant to not think so highly of ourselves because we have money or stuff. And, and this is so, so easy to do in our culture. So easy. But anything that God gives us in abundance has this chance to become an abundance of pride. Because, like, we can get season tickets to, you know, the Wild or, or the Timberwolves or, you know, any of these professional sports teams. But then they're like, ooh, do you want to be a VIP ticket holder? And it's like, oh, I don't know, what's that? Well, very important person, right? But, oh, it means you have better concessions. You get, maybe you have better parking. I'm not sure. You have, you have better seats. It just slides into pride so easily. Or, or traveling on a plane. I mean, 
we could be grateful that we have planes that stay in the air and don't crash and, you know, that we have a good FCC or whatever, and, and we should be excited about that. But then we get crammed into these seats that are like 10 inches wide and you have to have, you know, 10-year-old girl hips and, and your kneecaps just ram against the metal bars in the seat before it. You can tell I'm passionate about this. But you can buy first class. And then you get a seat that's like two feet wide. And you get, you know, six extra inches of leg room. And they bring you complimentary drinks and, and warm towels. I mean, who can't use a hot towel? You get your own bathroom. I mean, it slides into pride. And, and it's so easy to compare. Second problem is it makes it incredibly difficult for us to depend on God. Way more difficult to depend on God. This is like one of the hardest things we have to do because we can pull out our wallet and we can give money or we can pull out a credit card and we don't even have to pray. I mean, Jesus told his followers to pray this, Father, give us today our daily bread. When the, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they were given daily bread every day. They, they knew they could come to depend on that. Most of us haven't ever had to pray that, really, truly. Like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day, God, unless you provide for me today. We have cupboards that are full or half full, that have Cheerios or Frosted Flakes or a whole loaf of bread, and we have the breakfast of champions, so we don't have to pray for daily bread. But if you've been to a developing country, then I bet you've seen the challenges. But have you seen the peace and the simplicity? Because these people, the only option they have is Jesus. It's Jesus or nothing. And they have a joy because it's just these two things. And this is the clearest thing that God told me when he said, no, I want you to build with me a church of people who can authentically live with Jesus and help others easily find Jesus because there are so many options in the suburbs. It is so hard to depend on God. And, and the last, or I guess the last problem today is that it distracts you and me from eternal priorities. Jesus said one time, hey, look, a farmer went out and he planted seeds and some fell along the footpath and the birds came and ate them. Some fell in shallow soil under the rock. They sprouted quickly, but under the sun, you know, they they died. Then some, they went into the ground, but they got caught in the weeds. They fell and they got choked up. Then others fell in fertile soil. When Jesus explained this parable to his disciples, he in particular talked about the, the seed that fell among the thorns. And he said, the one that falls among the thorns refers to the person who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Like, it doesn't produce anything. I'm not a great gardener. I, I like to garden. I used to plant vegetables in my garden, and then I'd watch them grow slow and not produce anything, and that was really frustrating. Like, tomato plants that would give me nice green leaves with no tomatoes. Then I learned about trellising from the Rasmussen's, and I learned that if you, like, let them go up, all of a sudden, like, fruit, like, they, they come out, vegetable, they produce stuff, and I'm like, yeah! I know, I know. Uh, simple pleasures. 
here's the point. When Jesus, cousin and forerunner to his ministry, comes in and shares a message, and the people are like, oh my gosh, what should we do to, to show that to show that we're with God, to show that we trust God, to show that we've turned from our evil ways. He says this, he says, prove by the way you live, Luke 3, that you've repented of your sins and turned to God by, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Corrupt tax collectors came, what should we do? He said, well, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Even soldiers came and said, what should we do? And he said, don't exhort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Think about those three things. Every single one of them had to do with money and possessions. Every one of them. Because just like a tomato plant that doesn't produce tomatoes is unfruitful, a life that doesn't have any life change is unfruitful. And, and I think that God wants us to see that how we handle our time, how we handle our money, and how we handle our possessions is, is one of the ways that we show if we're fruitful. In fact, I would even say it like this. Where we spend our time and our money shows what we treasure in our hearts. Where we spend our time and our money shows where we treasure what we treasure in our heart. Because again, God wants us to see that every good gift comes from him, and it's not bad to enjoy these things. It can be very good, but, but we can get distracted. Like, it's, it's easy, easy, easy to get distracted. Like, the average person who believes and follows Jesus comes to church three out of every eight Sundays. That's like barely once a month. Well, some, some of us have rich people distractions, like we can have traveling sports that we can be gone for a long period of time, or we can go to a lake cabin for most of the summer, or, or our kids can be really bright and have lots of activities and have so many that, it, like, we struggle to have dinner together. And again, I'm not making anyone feel guilty. These are real challenges in our society. But the options become a problem when they distract us from eternal priorities. And where we spend our time and where we spend our money shows what we treasure in our heart. Now next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' challenge that's both positive and negative, that, that you have more responsibility when you have more. But for today, I just want, I challenge you, and I think God is challenging me, that we take an honest look at where we spend our time and where we spend our money and see what that says that we treasure in our hearts. Because Jesus says that what, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be. So our heart is tied to our treasure, and the treasure in my heart is what I hope for. It's what I long for. It's what I think about. It's what I desire. It might even be what I worship. And it can't be in ourselves, because that's going to lead to arrogance, and it can't be in our, our earthly money, because that is uncertain, that'll lead to anxiety. No, it has to be focused on God, who is the rich, generous giver. Because that will lead to this fullness and this gratefulness and joy. If, if you uh, like 
intellectual quotes, I'll, I'll end with this. This Dallas Willard is an author, and he says, it's the responsibility of every Christ follower to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God so that sin doesn't start to look good. Would you see money and possessions as a good gift that you can hold in your hands openly, and that's not wrong, it's actually responsible? That we're not supposed to do this, and we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to be handcuffed by it. That's why we offer Financial Peace University classes and things like that, and other, other ways that we can talk about money, possessions, and life in Jesus so that we can live free. As I see a church that God is bringing together, that's full of people who say, and aren't ashamed to say, they're rich. They're rich in God. And he's blessed us with more than we need, so we'll keep our hands open. We'll, we'll want to be great at being rich, be willing to share, be willing to do good deeds, be willing to have people say in the community, like, wow, they bless other people. Yeah, and not because we're awesome, because we love Jesus. But we have to look at where we spend our time and where we spend our money. Do you pray with me as we prepare for communion? God, I, I thank you that, that this is your word, not mine. And I pray that our hearts would receive it. That we would, we would admit that we're people that are rich. By the way the world is, but that we don't put our, our hope in comparing with the world. We look at our spiritual riches first, God. But we would look at what you've given us. And we would hold those blessings that we for sure didn't earn and, and we don't deserve monetarily and, and ultimately spiritually, God. I pray for those that are struggling with their finances right now and they're struggling to hear this message and I pray, God, that you would work through the difficulties that they face that they wouldn't put their hope in, in the little bit of money they have, but God, that they, would, that they would put their hope in you, that you provide for their daily needs. And, and Spirit, would you help us to accept your word, that you've blessed us and that it would change us. It would change every part of our being. And Jesus, I, I thank you for the blessings that you have showered on us, that we didn't deserve, that you didn't, you didn't decide to have a king's feast and, and take the wealth of all heaven and earth, but instead you chose a life of giving away over and over. You chose the cross over a king and a king's feast. And as you chose the cross, you, you became the ultimate king. And I pray that in our time of communion right now, we would just receive your word, receive your hope, receive your truth. Thank you for meeting us. Amen.